This is In the Ring with Sumo Heavy, a weekly e-commerce podcast with your hosts, John Suter, Bart Moraz, and Brittany Blackman. In the Ring features interviews with e-commerce leaders, as well as the latest news and strategies to give listeners actionable ideas and inspiration for their e-commerce businesses. The podcast is a production of Sumo Heavy, an e-commerce consulting firm with offices in Brooklyn, New York, and Philadelphia. Find us on the web at sumoheavy.com. Today on In the Ring, we have another encore presentation from our Register podcast. Back in February 2019, we had the pleasure of talking with Eve Ackerley and Carolyn Horner. They're the founders of kids' shoe sizing app, Gen Z. In our conversation, we talk about how the founders met, how they landed on kids' shoes as a business, and the challenges they faced in getting their app built and launched. Enjoy our conversation with Eve Ackerley and Carolyn Horner. Hey, guys. Hey, how are you? How's it going? Very good, very good. And always, we have my co-host, Sumo Heavy co-founder and CEO, Mr. Bart Mraz. Say hi, Bart. Hello. You were supposed to say hi, Bart. Hi, Bart. (laughs) All right, let's dive right in. So, guys, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from. Let's let's kind of dive into your your origin. Absolutely. Um, So, this is Eve, and uh, I... Take it back to 2013. I was graduating um, from Berkeley, having studied architecture. Um, I decided to work in the field for a little bit before I was quickly looking for a change. Um, And that change came in the form of going abroad and teaching in rural China. So in 2014, I moved to Yunnan province um, to teach at a public elementary school. And that's where I met Carolyn. Yeah. And so I had gone to school on the opposite coast. I went to Cornell and graduated in 2014. Um, I had studied Chinese at school and knew that I wanted to go there after graduation. So I joined a program called Teach for China. And even I served as volunteer teachers over there for two years um, and became really fast friends. We were living in a resource-strained environment, which is, as we'll come to find out, not that dissimilar to a startup. And we also had the experience of returning lots of shoes bought online that didn't fit over there. And so our town was so remote that the nearest post office was a 30 minute trek away and nowhere in our village sold our size. Eve is six foot tall and it was impossible to find a woman's shoe in, the, in that size. So we, we started brainstorming different ways to be able to size your foot from your phone and make it easier to know what size to buy when shopping online. And this was an idea that was swirling in our heads when we moved back to the US. So we moved back to the US in 2016 um, and I had the experience of taking my two nieces back to school shoe shopping. Um, They're four and six years old and, or they were at the time. And I thought that it was going to be a breeze and my sister let me go very enthusiastically, which I should have taken as the first sign that it was going to be a nightmare. Um, And after leaving the store and not being confident at all with the shoes that I had bought, I called Eve and said, you know, we should, we should pursue this idea of, of a shoe sizing app, but we should start small as in kids shoe small. And on September 1st, I moved down to LA and uh, moved in with Eve's parents um, to talk about this idea. And it, it really developed from there. So let's go back. Let's take a step back. So you're both in China, like, that is the craziest, like, kind of <laughs> casual meeting story I've ever heard. So you both had a love of Chinese, Chinese language, or how did you both wind up in China? Was it just... It was really the dumplings that brought us over there. <laughs> that would take me there. <laughs> um, I think both of our parents had 
both of our parents are entrepreneurs, um, which is a fun fact about us, but they both also had spent time living abroad when they were younger and it really helped shape their worldview. And so for us, it was important as young graduates, um, really wanting to find a, a unique path in this world to have that experience. And rural China was kind of the, the craziest place to do so. Um, so we had both studied Chinese a little bit and um, it was a country and a, and a culture that we were really interested in. That's really remarkable. I've never heard uh, like founders coming together in such a unique place like that. It's really a great story. Thanks. So when you got back to the States, so now what year is this? You're living, you're living in... Yeah, so this was, we, we decided to meet in LA on September 1st of 2016. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a really remarkable rendezvous. So, uh, so you're, so it's 2016 and mm -hmm. you, you kind of knocked around the idea while you were in China was that, so the, did it kind of germinate while you came to America or like, what was the path from there? Well, while we were in China, this idea came kind of at the end of our fellowship when we were starting to look for new jobs, but it was being over there, um, there was an internet, so we couldn't spend our days watching Netflix. So even I spent our days talking about business ideas. And it was this idea that really stuck and resonated with us. That um, And so we started taking online business courses with the spotty internet that we did have. <laughs> um, we read the Lean Startup and other uh, entrepreneurial books. And it seemed like something that we needed to pursue when we, when we got back to the U.S. And so it was really the experience kids shoe shopping with my nieces that made us pivot from a woman's shoe sizing app to focus on kids. Do you hear that entrepreneurs stop watching Netflix and <laughs> that's the best advice uh, that was kind of hidden in there that you could probably get. Stop watching Netflix, stop playing call of duty or whatever your Fortnite or whatever it is. Go read some business books. That's, that's really awesome. So you originally started with just regular people's shoes and mm -hmm. you more or less pivoted shall we say, to small to, to kid shoes. Mm -hmm. The reason was why? Because it was an easier intro or w what was the, the genesis of that? Yeah, we, you know, when we were first thinking about, you know, shoe shopping and why is it so difficult, we, we put out this question to both of our Facebook, um, on both of our Facebooks and said, like, what, what's worse, shopping for your own shoes or shopping for kid shoes? Um, and parents were really quick to respond kid shoe shopping is the worst. Yeah, I'm uh, raising my hand over here. <laughs> I understand. Um, and, you know, we looked into it, you know, wanted to learn more about what makes it so hard and just kids grow really quickly. So every, you know, two, three months, they might be changing shoes. Um, and a lot of physical stores, probably like where you or Carol and I shop when we were little have closed. So now it's parents having to drive 45 minutes. Um, it's not convenient. And then you know, anyone who buys stuff online knows that it's really hard to know what size. So all of those facts together were really um, convincing that we should start with kids first or start small. Yeah. Starting small. So you have the little kids who grow real fast. So they're buying a lot of shoes. So I guess that's a factor there. So how did you come up with the idea of, I guess, what, what do you consider that? I saw the demo of your app where it's you use a, a size comparison, a card next to a foot. Like where did you, where did that concept come from? So we, we dove into this world of not only app development, but also computer vision and, uh, and some AI and, and quickly learned that in order to launch quickly, we needed to just create a version of the app that 
through one photo, you could calculate a foot size, but you needed a standard size reference in the photo. And we tested different objects and just found that the card um, was one of really standard size. If a mom's using a library card or Costco card, we're going to know the measurements of it. And two, it would then allow us to only um, have a, a sizing process that took one photo and was really optimized for that squirmy child. <laughs> the squirmy child. Yeah, I saw that. So I, I see the, I, I understand the concept of using a standard size cards. Um, there are actually some eyeglass companies that are doing a similar thing, which I think mm -hmm. is really clever in that you're, you're, you're basically, you know, the customer is out in the wild and you don't know what they're going to do with your app. But if you bring something into the real world that you know that it's three and a half by two or whatever that is, it really kind of nails it down. So once it captures once it captures that, how does it determine what the actual size of the child's foot is? Yeah, so, you know, for on the parent side, a parent takes that one photo. Um, and so once we have their foot measurements, um, what we're doing is we have a, an entire back-end database of all of the shoe measurements. So right now we're partnered with 22 brands, um, and we have lots of different data points about all those shoes that are offered on our e-commerce store so that we can kind of cross-reference and match which shoes are going to be best for that child. So when a mom, once they've taken that photo and they're shopping on the store, we're able to say, hey, in this sandal, they should be wearing this size, but in this sneaker, they should be wearing this size. Yeah, I saw there was some kind of recommendation engine on there. So mm -hmm. is it that there are only so many variables of sizes and widths of kids' feet, or how does that, how does that work? What's the margin of error on that? So every child grows differently and the, me the measurements of their foot will also be different. And so that's why through that one photo, um, we attach key demographic information about the child as well as their foot measurements to know their stage of development and the healthiest shoes to put them in. And so with the shoes that we're onboarding onto our store, we not only capture the internal measurements of that shoe, but we also consider factors like sole type and lace type and material that all goes into one algorithm that does the matching automatically. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that on the app and on the demo. That was pretty interesting. So let's talk about, so if you recommend a shoe for someone and my little demo girl uh, or boy, I think his name is Biff. Um, Biff was born five years ago. Biff, he's a, he's a real pain in the neck, but Biff, you recommended some sandals for Biff. So let's pretend that Biff buy, we go, we go to buy these sandals. Uh, what's the, what is the e-commerce part of it? Are you working with brands and drop shipping or how does that work? So when we launched Gen Z in 2018, we had 10 brands that we were working with um, in a direct ship capacity. And as a small retailer, that was the easiest way to start sure. working with them and the fastest too. Um, however, over the past few months, we've really transitioned toward an inventory light model and we're starting to develop more dropship relationships with brands, which means that when a shoe order comes to us, we'll then push that order to the vendor who fulfills it. And is it, is it basically seamless so the customer still sees Gen Z packaging and branding and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, on the customer side, uh, we maintain the whole uh, experience from sizing through checkout and that's all automated. And we're still working with brands in, in a more automated way to, to make sure that orders are sent as quickly as possible to them so they can fulfill them. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Let me back up again. Where did the name Gen Z come from? Yeah, this, this was fun. We were, you know, as soon as we 
realized or kind of focused in on the, the zero to six demographic, um, Generation Z. Uh, we just loved that Gen Z and wanted to kind of form one word that was easy and memorable. So we, we had to change the spelling a little bit so no one was saying Gen Z or something. So right, right. Variation. <laughs> no, that's great. I really like it. I really like the name. Uh, so let's talk about, so now you've got the idea, you've developed everything from, let's just say, concept to launch. How, how long did that take? Well, so if we say concept was September of 2016, we had a first working version of the app, which was really just a camera screen um, by early 2017. And we spent the full year beta testing. So we were at parks and at daycares and at the homes of moms, uh, really looking at how they were using the app and reiterating and retesting based on what we saw. So the largest beta test we had was in October of 2017 with about 100 beta testers. That gave us enough work to, to, and we had some development hiccups that we can talk about as well, but really to get us on track to launch in July of 2018. Okay, so we've been live in the app store for seven months. That's pretty quick. So let's talk about the development process. Now you've got the idea and you, you see in your head how this is going to work. Who do you go to for development? Were these friends or did you, did you outsource overseas or how, how did that work? Yeah, we, you know, both Carol and I had a lot to learn about app development. So we went and found a mentor to kind of guide us through these first steps. Um, but he was great because he connected with us with an offshore team. So we worked with that offshore team for about a, a year and really um, they were awesome to kind of test, retest, um, and learn exactly what Gen Z needed to look like. Um, but like Carolyn mentioned in October, 2017, we did that large beta test and we met an awesome dad who also happened to be a user experience designer. So he had looked at the app and got really excited about the product um, and proposed working with us on, on this kind of rebuild we were doing for launch. Um, and he, he was also the one who introduced us to our current CTO, Dan. Um, the two of them had worked together on a number of projects, um, other, other apps, other digital e-commerce projects. Um, and so we were really excited about working with the two of them. Yeah. Another serendipitous uh, meeting, it sounds like. It was. That's really great. So when you say, so now you have a CTO and you're working with development team. I, no, I noticed some press about you guys from Philly. So are you still based in the Philly area or what's your situation? Yeah, we're, we're in Philly uh, based out of the center city we work here. Um, but Philly was a really great place, not only because my nieces and nephews lived here and they were readily able to volunteer their small feet. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, but we joined the Philly Startup Leaders community and we were a part of their accelerator last year and really started to form our professional network in this community. Um, and now that our, our designer is here, um, as well as some people on our tech team, it's really just been the best place to stay. Yeah, Philly is really great. It's come a long way. It used to be known as more just more like um, medicine and science, uh, but now the startup community is really kind of blowing up. Not exactly New York or San Francisco, but everybody knows each other and it's certainly easy to find somebody if you're looking for somebody to help you out. So it's really great. Yeah, exactly. All right. So you've got, you built the site. I guess the site was the easy part. The framework of the app was the kind of the hard part. What was the biggest, what was the biggest challenges that you guys had? You know, one 
we want juicy stories. We want like something broke in, Where's the, in, drama? <laughs> in the middle of the night and I was on a plane. We want, we want the good story. John thrives on drama. So I like the yes, drama. <laughs> okay, well, we'll try to, I, we'll see how juicy. Uh, I can even add sound effects if you need. Yeah, we, you know, one year into developing Gen Z, um, you know, Carol and I were getting familiar with different frame, frameworks to be building on and all the different languages, um, developing languages as well as uh, getting into the thick of computer vision. Um, but we had been building on a framework called Xamarin um, just for the purpose of being able to deploy both to Android and to iOS. We had done this beta test and we had gotten a lot of feedback and we were working with Sal at that point to kind of create a whole new set of screens that we would launch with. But it was going through these screens with Sal that we quickly realized that we should be building on another framework a little bit more common in the US and that's React Native. So he was really familiar with React and had a lot of good things to say about the flexibility of it. But it was at that point that we knew we also kind of needed somebody with a super strong front end development capabilities um, and that wasn't really the team that we were currently working with. So he was great, he was able to introduce us to a local Philly developer, which we love extending our Philly team. Um, and from there, we had we knew he had a strong background in React, but also a strong network of developers that we could also work with and bring on to other parts of the project. So I got a question for you. As founders, sometimes the founders are just known to have the idea and the bright light, and that's about it. It sounds like you're familiar with development language. Is this something that you learned on the job or was the, do you have a background in that at all? Or is it just, uh, we have to learn this stuff and now we know what it is? I think from, from the experience of building on, on a platform that really wasn't the best solution for Gen Z and realizing that that was gonna be time and money spent working to change it, it made us really aware that with those big decisions, like what platform is your app going to be built on, we really needed to become a part of the conversation um, and understand that language to have conversations with our tech team that we understood um, and that we didn't need a translator for. And the stuff with computer vision, we just find fun. And uh, we it's, it's kind of nice not being technical founders because uh, we don't really know what's not possible and you don't have any limitations yeah that's great exactly. um and so we really rely on everyone else to say that's not going to happen excellent <laughs> entrepreneurs this is entrepreneurs <laughs> is your second tip of the day learn the languages and you might have fun okay <laughs> so let's talk so now the app is launched let's talk about customer acquisition i know that you said you did a bunch of beta testing but let's talk about how you got your first customers the first ones that actually paid not your beta customers your Hi, I'm mom from Midwest, and I am buying some shoes on Gen Z. Those or your nieces. <laughs> or your nieces. It was probably your niece, right? Family and friends are great customers. <laughs> they were customer one through 10 for sure. However, customer 11 was someone we had never heard of before. And I think when that order came in, even I spent you know, 20 minutes on Facebook and LinkedIn being like, where, where did she come from? Trying to see if it was real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would do. Was it a robot? I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, but that again had been word of word of mouth and through uh, having some great press through launch. Again, a core of our core of our customers really were in the Northeast, the tri-state area. And it was also a process of sending them shoes and then writing them uh, a follow-up email, just asking how they heard of us and if they would be 
interested in posting a blurb about us on their mom groups and this organic strategy of finding mom groups, realizing that every mom is connected to at least three of them on Facebook um, and leveraging them to go forward is, was the most effective way for us to really expand our customer base through launch. Yeah, that's a really smart approach. And you're exactly right about the mom groups and the strength of the mom groups. There's, I mean, it's word of mouth is strong, but once you get into those groups and you get a good rep, I mean, things can really take off. So I think that was really smart. Totally. Now you've got orders, you've got the mom groups, you know, they're, they're kind of touting your praises and businesses coming in. Was there a point when you knew that, yeah, okay, this is what we were going to do, uh, that it was going to succeed, that it was going to work? Like, was there that point or are you still kind of like still crossing your fingers and hoping that you get through another month? I mean, what, where, where are you guys at now? Um, yeah, we, you know, one of the, the fun moments was uh, actually during that, beta test, we were, we were shipping shoes um, and some great family and friends who were making orders and being supportive. But um, one of my, uh, one of my cousins had ordered shoes for his daughter. Um, and we got an email like about a week later and the subject line read, it, it works. And in the email, it said, <laughs> you know, receive the shoes, they fit. He had a picture of his daughter wearing the shoes. Um, and at that point, you know, that was kind of validation on the customer side that what we, what we had set out to build was actually working for our customers. Um, and then, you know, a little bit, a couple months later, uh, as we were prepping for launching on the app store, uh, we rolled out a new website and, you know, an app demo video kind of showing what the product would look like. Um, and, you know, sure enough, within a day or two, we received emails from a couple brands um, that we'd been interested in asking how they could get on the Gen Z platform. So that was a really moment for us on the brand side. Yeah. Wow. So how many brands are you guys working with now? We have 22 brand partnerships. 22. I didn't even know there was 22 different kinds of shoes. So that's, that's really oh. impressive. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So here's the, here's the flip side. Any sleepless nights wondering, uh, what have I done? Like any doubts or is it, you have that founder's confidence? We definitely have many sleepless nights. And I think as an entrepreneur, uh, there really doesn't go, a, a, a day doesn't go by where you don't feel like there's some issue that is going to just explode and the world will end. But I think we've never been sleepless about a few things and that's each other. And we've always been confident in in the two of us, um, as well as the team that we built. And we've always, always, always been confident that we're solving a real problem. and knowing that we, we have parents looking for a solution gives us the confidence to move forward um, and test new things. It's when we test those new things that we become a little unconfident um, and we're constantly having to learn different languages and do things that are unfamiliar to us. And that can be pretty daunting sometimes. But if, I think if you're confident in like the, the main foundation of your company, then there's really nothing to keep you up at night that isn't that it, that isn't going to make make the world actually explode. <laughs> Excellent answer. And it seems like having uh, the people that I interview, it seems like if it's a solo founder, obviously he's driving, he's, he's, his fuel is ego, but yeah. with co-founders, it's a little bit different. You've got to have that dynamic there. And it seems like you guys have that and that you, you, know, you have some trust and you have, you basically are on the same page, yeah. but are there times when you guys are less like, I don't, I don't agree with what you're saying. Like what happens then? How do you, how do you manage conflict resolution being co-founders? 
I think the first two years of the company, even I didn't have titles. We were both co-founders and we were both learning the tech side of the business and the marketing side. And um, that was key for us to create a plan for what Gen Z should look like. Um, however, recently since launch, we started fundraising. And I think this is a moment that happens a lot with co-founding teams is that one person starts to take over the job of talking with investors and communicating a business strategy, whereas the other co-founder is really running the company. I'm not going to say which job is more fun, although I'm doing fundraising right now and I'm convinced that Eve has the more fun job. Um, and we've, we've definitely noticed there's more tension now between us, or it's more common for us to kind of be on different pages because we're doing two separate things. So we've kind of changed our schedule to be able to make room every day for us to connect and be on the same page. Um, so the rest of, of the team, what we're doing flows naturally. Yeah, great points. Um, and that brings me into my next question. What's, what's the biggest challenge you guys have right now? Is it time or is it just trying to get everything done or what, what, what challenges are you seeing in the business or in your, you yeah. know, just every day getting it done? I mean, what's, what's the biggest challenge right now? Yeah. yeah, I think startups are always strapped for time. You always wish you had an additional 24 hours in the day. Um, but, you know, we launched on the App Store in July of last year. So for us, 2019 is all about going out and finding finding customers um, and spreading the word. So we, you know, have a really, um, actually back in November, we partnered up with an a awesome digital marketing agency in Chicago um, to make sure we had a really strong marketing or online marketing plan. So getting into paid search and paid social. Also, as an online business, it's really important to find creative ways to connect with customers. So uh, we've been leading a charge on a daycare and preschool partnerships since we're very focused on that zero to six age range um, and just calling and connecting with local daycares, but also going out um, to new cities and areas and really trying to get our name through that network. Yeah. Yes. So it sounds like you're doing some pretty smart things that are smart moves, uh, kind of bootstrapping your marketing. How do you plan on future growth? You, it said something about financing. Uh, are you looking to, what are you looking to do in terms of financing and, and what do you want to do with that money? Yeah. So we're raising our first round of outside investment right now and we're looking to close that round in the next couple of weeks which will be exciting because maybe i can go back to working with the tech and marketing teams but i think that's that's what we're most looking forward to in terms of our next milestone and using that money to propel gen z um, to, to find those customers digitally and and more organically also bring on new brands to our store to offer customers a greater assortment of shoes and then really starting to plan um, what the next tech rollout for Gen Z will look like. All right, what's your biggest takeaway uh, working with Gen Z? Yeah, we, I think um, if someone said you're going to have to work 10 times as hard to achieve success, they were um, absolutely true. So over, I think, the past two years, um, you know, we reached a critical milestone, which was launching on the App Store. Um, but we saw just how hard and how much time and effort really goes into to reaching a milestone. So I think our next milestone that we're going after is uh, getting this outside round of investment. And again, we're learning just how much effort goes into fundraising. Um, so to read, to reach your goals, you will have to work 10 times as hard, but it's always fun and there's a lot to learn. Yeah. 
What do you guys think of the state of the e-commerce industry right now? What kind of trends are you seeing? Uh, any kind of red flags that you're seeing in the next year in terms of either economy or atmosphere or anything like that? We've, we focus primarily on our demographic of customers, which are um, working moms with young kids at home. Um, and first and foremost, they're, they're digitally native and they're using their phones to make purchases. Um, and so the first thing that comes to our mind and your mind as well probably is millennials. And there's 13 million millennials with young kids. And by 2030, 80% of the millennial generation will have young kids at home. And they're really not only looking for uh, healthy products for their kids, but they're also using disposable income more and more so to, to make those health conscious purchases. So we're really excited about the growing number of millennial parents who are using their phones to buy things, um, but also looking to make healthy products, healthy, uh, uh, healthy checkout, healthy purchases for their kids. Yeah, that's a great point about the digitally native. And it seems like you're in the right niche for that because kids never stop coming and everybody that's, everyone that's born today has got a phone in their hand. So that's a great spot to be in. So let's kind of get into the personal thing in here. So being an entrepreneur is demanding work. What's a typical day like for you guys? Like how do you manage, manage your time? I know we kind of briefly touched on that, but how do you really find a balance? Yeah, and I'll, I'll follow up on the point I was making before. Even I'm really instituting uh, everyday meetings where either for a half hour or an hour and a half, the two of us will, will meet, and that's pretty much how we start off every day. From there, I'll be focused on fundraising and talking to investors, and Eve will be focusing on uh, working with our marketing and tech teams. And again, it, it's kind of interesting because I'm talking to investors about what the five-year and six-year plan of Gen Z looks like, whereas Eve's talking about the five-day or five-month plan. Um, and so that's why those, those meetings in the morning are really important to make sure that ultimately we're speaking the same language. Great answer. So we didn't get into any kind of work-life balance. So when you're not working, how are you, how are you kind of straightening your brain out? How are you kind of getting through, the, getting through to the next day? You know, I get the, uh, oh, I do yoga and I'm a vegan. And I, but let's, you know, is there, is there just something that you guys lean on and says, you know, this, this kind of helps me get through the day or some yeah. people run, some people do yoga. I mean, is it? Yeah, I think early on, um, somebody said like, what are your, what are your priorities? And the two of us both listed off, you know, five or six things. And they said, uh, you know, you can really only have three, you know, there's, there's, you know, six is too many. And so, you know, Gen Z probably being the first one for me is like health and, you know, my family and friend relationships, but just always kind of like having at the, that at the forefront of my mind and always, you know, taking maybe an hour in the morning to go do something for my health or, you know, or call somebody that I haven't talked to in a while. But when you, when you boil it down to kind of three things, you, you make sure that you have time in the day for each of those. Um, but if it's six, you might, you might run out of time. <laughs> yeah. Time, time is not on our side. <laughs> so let's talk to the entrepreneurs out there that may be listening. What's the one piece of advice each of you would give to someone who is struggling to move their idea forward? First, I would try to get to the root of the problem. So why are they having trouble getting their idea forward? The, the first step that even I always take is to find someone who loves 
our product or loves a feature of our product and find out why they love it. Um, and so that person should probably find that, that one person who uh, really is, is drawn into what they're doing. The one true um, fan. Yeah, totally. The one true fan. And, and then you ask them why they love it because that answer might t- not be what you expect. And then simultaneously is to find someone who isn't going to buy into what you're doing or isn't really sold yet and figure out the, the, the root of that. That's when even when we launched Gen Z, about two months later, Eve had like 25 conversations with three groups of people, one set of customers who had sized and shopped with us, another group of people who had just sized but hadn't gone through checkout, and another group of people who um, hadn't even downloaded the app. And so finding out the motivations behind each people in those groups can really help roadmap um, your, your plan going forward. Awesome. Great advice. What's next for Gen Z? Well, in the immediate term, we're really excited because um, we're rolling out a new version of the app. So, you know, I've been working with our tech team and thinking about how we can optimize the sizing and shopping experience, make it even faster, even quicker. Um, so we're going to be rolling out that new version um, really soon. And and then as we get ready for, you know, get into spring and summer, um, we have some awesome bundles on the store um, and trying to make it really easy for parents to get all of your seasonal shoes in one go. So anybody that can go on there, um, find, you know, sandals or sneakers for upcoming summer camp and really quickly be able to get those three shoes and be on their way. You know, I did the one question I didn't ask, what's the biggest season? Is it school time or is it summer? I would say back to school. The the two are kind of tied and, and kids shoe season, the kids shoe, uh, industry is really tied by season, but back to school is huge, especially with, with certain requirements of some. Yeah. I was going to say, cause a lot of the, the parochial schools around here, you have to have certain shoes. And I guess, do you do any kind of partnerships with schools? Not yet, John, but that is <laughs> in the works. It's, it's on the chalkboard. All right. Awesome. It's on the chalkboard. All right, now we got some fun questions. What would you guys be doing if you weren't doing this? This being, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, running a, running a, an e-commerce app. Well, I always say I would be a CIA agent, but I'm work for the CIA. But Eve kind of rolls her eyes because she knows that, like, I'm scared to go into a dark apartment by myself, and there's no way. CIA that I would... agent that only works during the day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she might be limited. Um, I always joke that we would probably just be doing some other business, um, you know, maybe even more inspired by our uh, meeting in China of, of creating a fast, casual dumpling chain. So maybe that can be a post shoe biz. I'm down with some Gen Z dumplings. You just let me know when that's open. I'll be your first. I'll beta test the hell out of your dumplings. We will taste test everything. Everything. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right, final question. This is a fun one. What's the last thing you bought online? Uh, I'm allowed to say shoes. Okay, no, or anything related to shoes because I just bought some more shelving. Um, <laughs> So our apartment can really turn into a full-blown shoe warehouse. Um, the, the last thing we read, or the last thing I read was Bad Blood. And normally I buy or I get books from the library, but the waiting list for this book was so long that I just bought it. So I totally bought the book Bad Blood and even I read it simultaneously. All right. So that's the book about Theranos. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved that book. For a business book, it read like a 
like a dramatic page turning. Like I couldn't wait to every night to sit and read that book. I will totally recommend this book. It's Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. It's the story of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos and that whole scam. It is, there's so many twists and turns. It's so incredible and it's still going on. It's just, it's going to make a great movie. So yeah. yeah. All right. This will bring us to the end of the interview. So guys, you want to give us a shameless plug. This is where you can mention URLs, social media handles, anything you want to say, time's yours. Absolutely. So can't, can't say enough good things about Gen Z and, you know, parents, you, you pick the shoes, we'll pick the perfect size and be super confident that whatever you're getting in the mail is going to fit great. Um, we have 22 brands, ones that you love, like Run, PD Pet, Sauconies. Um, so visit us on the App Store, free to download. Um, you can also follow us at ShopGenzy on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or you can go and visit us at genzy.com. And that's J-E-N-Z-Y.com. So we'd love to try us out. Let us know how your experience is. And, you know, maybe some post a pic of some new shoes or, or your feet. <laughs> All right. You got that, parents? Go to Gen Z. It's, it's spelled J-E-N-Z-Y, Gen Z. And we've been speaking with Eve Ackerley and Carolyn Horner, the founders of Gen Z. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, John. Thank you, Bart. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. That'll do it for this week's episode. A big thank you once again to Eve Ackerley and Carolyn Horner from Gen Z for joining us on the show. If you like the podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends. And if you have any comments or suggestions about the show, reach out to us on our social media. It's at Sumo Heavy. And finally, if you want to learn more about Sumo Heavy, go to our website, sumoheavy.com. We'll see you next week in the ring.